I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 168. Uh, nothing to report for me other than I downloaded Tinder again. That's all that's going on right now. Uh, nothing to report for me except for just, I don't know, working. <laughs> Regular job, extra on the weekends, you know, my normal shit. Mm-hmm. Well, we're boring as fuck, but you know who's not? Patreoners! <laughs> Thank you so much, Kathleen F. from Pennsylvania. Amy P. from California. Kevin S. from Canada. Haley H. from the UK. Shelly J. from Michigan. Stephanie H. from Ohio. Amanda B. from Missouri. Monica C. from Texas. Christy M. from Florida. And Ann Y. from California. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon to support us. If you want an episode shout out, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. But we also know that not everyone can support us on Patreon. So there are other ways to support us. You know, you've heard us talk about reviews and all of that, but there's also social media. You can follow us on basically any social media platform at the APC podcast. But one in particular is TikTok. Will does such a great job, who is our editor slash post-production, you know, all the things. And he takes some of the sound bites from our episodes to put it with some of the pictures that go along with the stories and post that on TikTok. So if you search for us at the APC podcast, you can find us on TikTok. There is another account that looks like us, but not us. Uh, we reported it, so I don't know. But anyway, if you just search for A Paranormal Chicks, it pops up that account that has no videos that's not us. Make sure you search for The APC Podcast. All right, picture it. You're road tripping back from your honeymoon, and there's weird lights that are approaching you. But they're not on the road ahead of you. They're coming from the sky. Then the next thing you know, you're back home, with really no recollection of how you got there or what happened the night before. That's exactly what happened one night in September of 1961 to newlyweds Betty and Barney Hill. Like I mentioned, they were returning from a belated honeymoon in Montreal, Canada, and Niagara Falls to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is where they lived. And let's talk about them for a minute. Betty was a social worker and Barney was a postal worker. And something to know of Barney, he worked the night shift for the mail. And he would drive 60 miles on the daily for his job. So driving like they were wasn't anything different for him. Another thing to note is that they were an interracial couple. But I say this to tell you that they were big time activists for the civil rights movement. Because it's 1961. They were both members of the NAACP and very active in their church. So they really did have their plates full. Both of them had demanding jobs. And then their volunteer work took up the other part of their time. They had been married for 16 months but hadn't been able to take a break to celebrate it via a honeymoon. And that's why they went on this little road trip, spontaneous and finally making time for each other. And everything was good on their three-day trip, but there was this looming hurricane, and they were trying to stay ahead of the bad weather. So around 10 p.m. on the last night of their trip, they stopped at a little diner in Vermont and finalized their plans on driving through the night while, you know, eating, sipping on some coffee. 
Well, with their planning, they should have reached Portsmouth around 2 a.m. They left the diner and was on that last stretch of driving. Then they noticed there was this bright light in the sky. And both of them kind of thought it was following them, but they're like, uh, that's weird. And Barney told Betty that he thought it might be a satellite that had gotten off course or something. But soon they did notice it was still following them down twisting and winding roads. And when they thought, okay, we might have just been imagining everything and they didn't see the light anymore, it popped back into view. Almost like it was traveling behind the tree line for camouflage. They were like, okay, let's pull over and try to figure this out. If they were seeing things, you know, because it could have been how when a car's going around like certain surroundings and stuff, it looks like the moon's following you or changing positions and yeah. You know, so it's like, that That could be this. So that's what they did. They pulled over and Betty looked through some binoculars while Barney walked their dog, Delcy. Betty saw that it wasn't a shooting star or a satellite. It was something that was odd-shaped and had multicolored lights. It was too quiet to be a helicopter or anything. And at this time, Barney wasn't really thinking anything sinister. But then the light kind of did like a skirt and turned and started to descend in their direction. And it was getting faster and faster and closer and closer. And he was like, okay, this is something I don't understand. Let's get out of here. So they both got back in the car and Delcy made it too and just kept driving towards home, but they were both on edge. Betty urged Barney to slow down because she was still trying to track and observe this light. And that's when she noted that it was around 40 foot long and it wasn't just a steady object. It appeared to be rotating. Barney slammed on the brakes because now the flying disc was above their car and only like 80 to 100 feet above their car. Barney had been a little on edge anyway because they were on vacation, they were interracial, and that just was something that wasn't accepted everywhere. So he carried a gun in the car just for safety. So he took that gun out, put it in the back of his jeans, you know, and got out to check out what was going on. He said it was the size of a jet, but not tall. What you picture when we say UFO now, you know, a flat round saucer, like a pancake. Or like a penny that you do at the souvenir shops. Mm -hmm. Like that. I bet you got to do that every time you went to one, didn't you? I did. Yeah. I (laughs) never got to do you know how many times I've done one of those in my life? Maybe two. And it was every single time I was an adult and I paid for it myself. Yeah. Well, Barney used binoculars and he said he saw 8 to 11 creatures, humanoid creatures. And they were peering back at him through the windows of the UFO. Barney said that when he saw him, he wanted to get his gun out to protect himself and Betty, who was still in the car, but he couldn't. He said it was like they were telepathically speaking to him and told him not to put down his binoculars. And with this, he knew that they were in danger and he suddenly was able to move again. So he turned and ran back towards the car, screaming at Betty that they were about to be captured. So he got back in the car, floored the gas, and was trying to get out of there ASAP. But he told Betty, hey, still try to track the UFO. Like, we can't 
We can't lose them. Yeah, see where the hell that thing went. Right. So she rolled down her window so she could see the craft. So she's like craning her neck up to see it because it's over them. But just then, the couple heard these beeps that seemed to be coming from their trunk. And they were loud as fuck and in a certain rhythm. And right when they heard it, they both felt overwhelming drowsiness. And then just as quickly as they felt like that, they were back to normal. However, they had lost two hours and they had traveled down the road more, like at least 35 miles. So the couple finally made it back home around 5 a.m. And remember, they were supposed to get home around 2 a.m. And they were like, oh my God, what happened? But they couldn't make sense of anything. They just knew something had happened and they felt different. They felt odd. And Betty went into mama bear mode and wanted to protect them as much as possible. So she told Barney not to get their luggage all the way inside, but just put it by the back door. You know, something was just off. And both of their watches had stopped working. And in fact, they never worked again. They both agreed that they needed to take showers in case of anything being on their skin or whatever, because they had lost that time. Barney said that he didn't know why, but he checked his genitals just to make sure everything was still good on the home front, and it's not something that he was normally worried about. After the shower, they laid down, got a few hours of sleep. Betty was putting away the clothes that she had worn the night before, and she noticed that the hem of the dress was torn, as well as the zipper and the lining. And then she noticed that there was this pinkish powder-like substance on her dress. She hung the dress out on the clothesline, and that got rid of the powdered substance, but the dress was still ruined. But for some reason, Betty decided to hang it back in her closet and not throw it away. And also, Barney, his shoes were scuffed up, and those were like his nice shoes and everything, so it's like not something that was pre-scuffed from this, and they had just been driving. Well, after they both woke up, they went outside and noticed that the car had some markings on it. They were circles and by the trunk where they had heard that beeping from. Being inquisitive about it, Barney pulled out a compass and put it near the circles. And it would spin wildly when close, but then go back to normal when it was pulled away. On September 21st, Betty called the Air Force Base that was local and reported what they believed happened. But she did leave out some deets because she didn't, you know, want them to laugh at her or not take her seriously. Or, you know, like come and arrest them or. Right. (laughs) Well, the next day, Major Paul Henderson was like, hey, we'd love to do an interview with y'all to clear this up. Mm -hmm. And then later it was revealed that he said, um, what had happened is that they had just misidentified Jupiter. Mm. But yeah, right, because their case was later used in Project Blue Book, which is the Air Force's UFO research, like hush-hush secret project that I definitely need to do more research on. Anyway, Betty was like, no, we're not being dismissed like this. We're intelligent. We know what we saw. So she went to the library, did her own research, and contacted one of the authors of the book that she had checked out. His name was Donald Kehoe, and he was head of the NICAP, which was basically the civilian UFO research group. 
Anyway, she wrote to him, explained everything, and I think Barney really didn't care to get their story out or anything, but Betty did. But she seemed to be having a little more trouble than he was, so maybe that's why she was more, like, gung-ho about it. Because 10 days after the UFO encounter, Betty started experiencing very vivid nightmares that lasted for five days, and then they just stopped. Barney, of course, was sympathetic, but he just didn't really know what to do. Betty didn't want to burden Barney more than she was, so she began writing down her dreams. Her notes that said in one dream that they had encountered a roadblock. And so for some reason, you know, like they went down another road and men surrounded their car. Then she lost consciousness and then woke up. But she woke up to being basically escorted by two shorter men in the woods and she turned her head to just take in her surroundings and she could see Barney walking trance-like behind her too and they were leading them somewhere and so Betty described them as being around four and a half to five feet tall. They wore matching dark uniforms and they appeared nearly human. They had the dark eyes, prominent noses, and their skin was a grayish color. In the dreams, Betty, Barney, and the men walked up the ramp into the UFO. Well, once they were inside, they separated Barney and Betty. And Betty's like, um, no, why are you doing that? But there was one that seemed to be the leader, and he said if they were examined together, it would take much longer. So they were like, okay, well, we'll just do it separately. Ain't nobody got time for that. So the dream continued when a new man who looked like the others walked into her exam room. She said that he was polite, but she really couldn't understand him, but could understand the leader perfectly fine. They were talking about they were doing tests to see the difference between humans and them. And so they, you know, like inspected her eyes. They cut off some of her hair, like just like a lock, not chopping it off. Uh, He, again, examined her mouth, her hands. He trimmed her fingernails after examining, like, her lower half. Not sexually, just, like, waist down. He had, like, um, Carrie, you'll know the medical term probably, but it's basically, like, not a scalpel, but something kind of like that. And he scraped some of her skin onto, like, um slide. Mm -hmm. And so then he was like, okay, we have to test one more thing and we need to test your nervous system. And so he got this needle and inserted it into her stomach through her belly button, Mm -hmm. which she started to cry out in pain. But all that it took was the leader to just wave his hand in front of her and the pain went away. She remembered talking to both the guy who was examining her and the leader, and just, you know, like, I don't know, just taking in her surroundings, being curious. And so she, like, was looking through these books, and there was one that had a lot of different symbols, and the leader was like, you can have it. (laughs) It's probably like, I don't want your germs on it. Here, take it with you. Well, she was like, so where did y'all come from? Like, what are y'all? Who are you? Where are we? (laughs) You know, 
Because apparently Betty's me. She's very nosy. And so he, like, pulled down a star map and showed her, like, where he's from, all the things. Well, then they were being escorted off the ship, and she just remembers, like, there was a scuffle, and the leader was like, all right, the book, got to stay here. Sorry, they said you can't, like, remember anything. And she was like, uh huh, I'm going to remember this, no matter the book or not. And then, again, this has all been her dreams, but she said that her and Barney were taken back to their car, and the leader basically told them, wait, watch us depart, and then you can drive again. And that's exactly what happened. So a couple of months later, they finally just talked to people, you know, about it. And they talked to a group at their church. And then that kind of like led into, oh, you should talk to so-and-so. And that kind of six degrees of separation led them to Benjamin Simon, and he lived in Boston. So they met him December 14th, 1963. What Benjamin Simon was going to do is hypnotize them and get them to recall some memories and hopefully make up for that time that was lost. Again, Barney really was like, me, but Betty had these weird ass dreams and like, let's just see what it is. And he, again, had different sessions for them so they couldn't overhear each other. And at the end, he would basically be like, forget everything and wipe that memory away again. So it's not like they came out and was like, oh, this is what I told him. Mm -hmm. And Barney went first. And basically, he kind of said what was in her dreams. However, when they were separated... When they went to the ship for the exams, their story changes, you know, so it is two different viewpoints of that. So it's not like he's just recalling what she said because she didn't know what went on with him. Yeah. Okay. Because that's what I was about to say was, well, I mean, duh, because you know that she's told him her dreams. So, of course, he's just regurgitating what she's told him. But, okay, never mind. He's saying, like, okay, and then once we got the ship, these different things happened. Yeah. And Barney was not curious. He was actually really scared. And so, in his memory recall, or the hypnosis, I don't know what y'all believe in, he said that he would keep his eyes shut because he didn't want to see around him. You know, it's kind of like, Hey, I'm not a witness. I couldn't tell you anything that was on the ship. Gotta go. Bye. Yeah. Meanwhile, Betty is, you know, trying to take a souvenir home. Betty's asking all the questions. Yes. Barney said that there was a, like, a device that was placed over his genitals, but he didn't orgasm or anything. However, he did believe that they got a sperm sample from him. They, again, scraped his skin and looked in his ears and mouth and all of that. And then he said that a thin tube was inserted into his anus and he felt like someone was counting his vertebrae. Why is it like literally always anal probing? Right. Well, this was the first time that was brought up because this was like the first documented like, widely documented case of alien abduction. Okay. 
he recalled leaving the ship back in his car and then watching them leave and then just driving. Betty's sessions were more emotional and, you know, she was more involved with everything. So one time they had to cut the hypnosis short because she had like tears running down her cheeks. But there was one thing that the hypnotist was like, okay, this is what you need to do, Betty. Because she had told him about that star map when she was like, where are y'all from? Like, who's your mama? All the shit. Who's your daddy? What does he do? Who is your daddy and what does he do? (laughs) Perfect. And he like pulled down what all I can picture are the old world maps from Mm -hmm. high school and stuff. Yeah, they're like. Yes, exactly. That's like a million dollars if you want one now for decor. Yes, (laughs) that is the fucking truth yeah well he said look go ahead and try to sketch this out so you know we can see what you're talking about she kind of described it as a hologram you know it was like this projection and you know blah 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 so she could only draw the ones that she could remember she was like there were thousands of stars and so she couldn't remember all of that but She had 12 stars that were connected by lines and then three smaller ones that kind of formed a triangle. And she said, hey, these solid ones, those are like the trade routes. Those are the high trafficked ones. The ones with the dash lines and like the triangle thing. Those are like the Big Dipper. (laughs) No, those are like the rural stars. Not a lot of people go in there. And so, after all of that, the guy was like, eh, it, like, the recollection could have been from Betty's dreams, like you said, but Betty and Barney were just like, no, because they're different. Like, they're similar, but they're different. And, like, again, they're intelligent people. They have nothing to gain from this. Like, yeah, did it become something? Yes. But back in the day, it wasn't anything. These people were already something different in society, being an interracial couple. Why would they be like, hey, you know what? Let's talk about aliens, too. Right. When they were basically treated as aliens in society. And you know what? Better yet, let's talk about anal probing. Right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. For the guy to talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know, come on. That's not going to be an issue at all. Right. No, I totally, totally agree. And after a little bit, their lives were back to normal for the most part. Of course, they talked to whoever wanted to listen and, you know, whatever. But they didn't try to make the rounds. You know, like, oh, yeah, we'll go here. We'll go there. We'll just be, you know, the heels. No. They weren't, like, hitting up Maury? No. Mm Mm-mm. Nope, nope, nope. No, like, cash me outside. <laughs> exactly. None of that. Well, in 1966, there was this writer, John G. Fuller. He wrote a book called The Interrupted Journey about their case. And he had the cooperation of Barney and Betty and the guy, Simon, who hypnotized them. Because he's like a psychiatrist or whatever, but they do in hypnosis, Okay. But the important thing here is that the book included a copy of Betty's star map. 
And later on, there was this woman who did basically like, you remember on Stranger Things when the mom did like the Ouija board with the lights and all yeah. of that? Basically, she did this to reconstruct Betty's star map. She was trying to see like what galaxy it could be, what blah, 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 you know, and nothing was lining up. There were still some stars like unaccounted for, basically. And a few years later, I can't even remember because all of this is like, I know what a black hole kind of is. I, fuck if I know it's where all my shit goes in my house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't understand all of this. However, some, you know, stars were like, oh, here's some new stars lined up perfectly where those were unaccounted for in Betty's star map. And there's no way she would have known exactly where those stars would have been or whatever. Wow. Way before. Wow. Yeah. And so it's like, again, she is intelligent, but this isn't her rodeo. Yeah. Like, there's literally no way. Yeah. There's intelligent, and then there's like... Like, an astrophysicist doesn't even know that those exist yet. Right. Exactly. Like, they're like, okay, this star map is wrong. It's a piece of shit. And then it's like, no, actually, it was this, and we just didn't even understand it yet. Well, sadly, Barney died of a brain bleed in February 1969, and he was just 46 years old. So young. Yes. And the thing is, is that he was in, like, really good health before the incident, But after, like, his, like, blood pressure went up a lot, he had an ulcer that he had, like, never had before. And so, I don't know if that was ever tied to anything or what. Well, I'm sure it freaking was. Well, then, Betty, she died of cancer in 2004. She was 85 years old, and she never remarried. Oh. I know, right? The love of her life. Yes. Ugh. So, of course, there's people who are like, don't buy it because it's aliens. And so a lot of people say it was a hallucination because they were an interracial couple in the 1960s. And under a lot of stress, they had stressful jobs. They were like wearing themselves thin. And this all, you know, was blown out of proportion. But like they're... Marriage was great by all accounts, you know. Obviously, she never remarried again. Like, come on. And so people are just like, eh, I don't think that had anything to do with it. Yeah, what is there to even give you any indication that there was any type of anything that would lead them to think that there was, well, fucking anything. <laughs> you know? I, know, like, I know, I'm like. To be I feel like, hallucinations I feel like, of fucking anything. I mean, I know I keep saying that word, but like. I know. What? I feel like they're, like, pulling out a string, like, a thread, and it's just not there. But, I mean, okay, I am a skeptic among all skeptics. You know, like, I am one to be like, "Uh," right? But I'm not going to be like, they were, they're interracial. They had to have been hallucinating. Right. What the fuckity fuck kind of racist bullshit is that? I know. Come up with something fucking better and then come (laughs) hit me up when you're not an asshole. Okay, thanks. I know. And the thing is, is that they tried to make it sound sympathetic, like, because they were going through a lot, because they were interracial, because of this. 
okay, well, thanks for seeing that they struggled, but... Um, you're still an asshole. Yeah, you're still seeing that as a problem and trying to tie it to them having hallucinations. It's just like... Wowza. Yeah. Other people said that there was like a show called The Outer Limits, and that could have interfered with it. It was broadcast right before, like two weeks before the first hypnosis session. And so if they saw that, they could, like, it could have done whatever. But again, it wasn't perfect. And the only thing that they really tied to is, like, their aliens kind of looked vaguely similar to the aliens in The Outer Limits. But... Oh, geez. You know what I mean? Again, yeah. it's just like, I don't know. And at this point, those people had to be right there to watch that show. And is there any... Okay, again, not saying I'm a believer, but is there any proof that they even saw that? No. No. Okay. There's no proof. And again, they don't have a DVR, so it's not like, oh, let's just set everything alien-wise so we can get our story straight. You know, like, you miss it, you miss it. I feel like people are immediately sus of them because they're interracial, Mm -hmm. which makes me, like, want to believe them more because I'm, like, coming to their defense, you know? I know. But to me, like, that does help because how we said, okay, like, they're going to want to put more fuel on the fire for... Bring more attention to themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And their main focus was civil rights and all of that. While this does nothing to aid in... That so, even them having more of a platform, and people were like, Oh, tell us about the abduction. Also, let me tell you about blah blah blah. Like, no one's gonna, they'll be like, Cut, cut, right, whatever. They're not gonna use that as a platform. They are more socially conscious. Did I say the word right? Holy you got shit, the right word. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, they have more, shit they have to, more at stake. They're yeah. not gonna fucking fabricate. Allegedly, they're not going to fabricate this fucking thing. And again, you know what? Here's the thing, too, is that if you would have hit me with this story six months ago, I'd have been more like, <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. But like the government releasing some documents lately uh-huh. got and me a little more like, wait, what? Yes. And now when you think about like Project Blue Book, that was a whole thing. Now we know about other projects that they've had that were whoa huge Mm -hmm. i haven't studied all about project blue book i've always heard it and you know like never really knew yeah i'm gonna need you to do that because i don't know shit yeah but so it's like so they did a whole thing for ufos yeah and it's like the more shit that comes out it's just like what you know but again though it's like it really is like okay how can there be infinite number of universes and then but we're the only one that has people right but also, on the other hand, like, well, why are they coming here? And then, like, why are they studying us? Like, how do they have all this technology to come here to study us? But then they have to just, like, cherry pick this one random couple to, like, like if they have the level of technology to come here to study us in a way that makes us forget, speaks our language, mm-hmm. like, all those things, like, knows us enough to, like, be able to be like, bloop, bloop forget you know yeah 
why do they need to study us in the way that they told her that they need to study? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they don't, they're not like, hmm, let me do a body scan so that I can, okay, let me, let me get a little specimen of your skin. But they might see. need it because even with that, like you would have to be able to clone it and you need something. Okay. So they may be doing that, but they know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I get the, yeah, they're more advanced, but then think about different countries when we go to study their culture and stuff. But in some ways, they're more advanced than we are. And then other ways, it's like, y'all still do that, you know, like, or whatever. I just feel like they might be more advanced in some things, but not this. But I, I just don't feel like they would need to study us in the way of like, we need to figure out how your body works. But, oh, wait, but I understand your body enough that I can make you forget this memory. You see what I'm but saying? it doesn't have to be scientific that they... Had that that could just be like second nate like it's just something they're born with what the ability to erase your mind true like we don't know what it is you know true because there's just some shit that like hell we never remember like i don't remember learning blah it was you know like we did but as a kid and it's just been an like innate reaction to whatever you know so yeah i just think again even, okay, Ninja Warrior's back on, so I'm going to have a Ninja Warrior thing. But even, okay, those athletes are so, I'm like, holy shit, they're so whatever. But all athletes, like, aren't the same. And so, like, if you're like, okay, you could be the next American Ninja Warrior, it doesn't mean you're technically going to be the best athlete in the world because that's more, like, agility, parkour, you know what I mean? And so it's just like a different thing. And so maybe that's it. Maybe there's just different athletes, aliens, both are A's. So there's just like different. Yeah. So I think we're kind of sort of saying the same thing. And I get where you're saying like them being able to wipe your memory could be innate. But I really feel like if they have the ability to need to study us in a way like if they have that need to study us because they're trying to do something for our like with our bodies or whatever, they wouldn't know us enough to know how to wipe our memories. And they wouldn't know us enough to know that they know that they know how to wipe our memories. You know what I mean? No, I don't see where because, again, I just think that that could be something that they do. But they would have figured they would have had to have had some knowledge of, oh, you know what? Those humans on Earth, that works to wipe their memories, too. And how do they know that it works to wipe the memories and that you don't remember it? You know what I mean? Well, but most people do. So they ain't that good. True. But the men in black are. No, my God. And they a different thing. They a different athlete. But also, it's like, hell, by now, they probably, it's like their grandson of whatever. And they're just like, you know what? Let's go joy ride. Let's just go see what's out there. Well, I don't know if they're faking it or not, but if they are, it certainly has nothing to do with the them being in an interracial relationship. <laughs> right? Those motherfuckers who said that are pieces of shit. Yes. I'm like, y'all are of that time. Let me tell you. I mean, and now too, honestly. I don't know what the fuck it was. It was aliens. I mean, it could have been. I mean, honestly, who the fuck knows with all this shit that's coming out with the government? Who knows? Well, your story was, I mean, kind of different this week, but my story is way different this week. I don't know what that means, but I like it. 
I am so stoked about the story. And let me just say, I was, while I was doing this story. You sounded like an elephant that does their drug. <laughs> you know what Did I you mean? just call me fat? <laughs> I wish I could have seen her face. Because I know you're not saying I never forget. Because I always forget. Oh. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. So, this week... <laughs> I was thinking that, did you ever have to make a calendar in like a computer class? And it had this template. This is when we were little. It had this template and it was an elephant on the calendar. And I just put two and two together. So it was not so you wouldn't forget? Yeah. Or take all those knots out because that made no sense. <laughs> no. <laughs> I ixnate them in my head. I was like, okay, I know what you're talking about. But yeah, like it had like two elephants on it and it was like yellow, like pastel yellow and gray, I think. Never had to do that, but I get it. Yeah, but like right when you said that, it went back to third or fourth grade. Huh, good story. <laughs> <laughs> Not surprising. I don't remember. <laughs> okay, well, my story this week is on... Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Oh, shit. Changing it way the fuck up. Okay. All right. So, Jim Baker was born James Orson Baker, January 2nd, 1940. But everybody calls him Jim Baker. Obvi. You know, since I've said it 14 <laughs> times. <laughs> okay. Also, his first name and middle name could be, you know how they say, um, like, Blankensons? But his would be James Orson Oh, my God. <laughs> Did somebody give her cheesecake? No. No, because I had dinner with her, and she didn't have it. <laughs> Jim went to North Central University, which is a college in Minneapolis, like a Bible college, that's affiliated with the Assembly of God. And while he was at college, that's where he met Tammy Faye, obviously, who later became Baker. Tammy Faye was also a student at that university. I didn't find a ton about Jim's upbringing, but I do know that Tammy Faye was the oldest of eight kids, and her parents were both Pentecostal preachers. But not long after she was born, her parents actually went through a pretty bad divorce, and her mom left the ministry. And so, I don't know, I feel like there's a story there. Like, not like a scandal, but I feel like there's a story. I'm like, oh, I want to know more about that. Yeah, because why would she leave the ministry just because she got divorced? Also, I didn't know that you could have female Pentecostal ministers. I remember when like Episcopal churches and Methodist churches started having a lot of female ministers and it was like a big deal because, you know, that whatever that book of the Bible is that has that part that says like women aren't supposed to talk in church if they have questions or supposed to ask their husbands when they go home. Like that's literally a verse of the Bible. I roll. So a lot of denominations of Christianity don't allow women ministers for that reason. So that's why I was like, dang, I didn't even know you could, as a Pentecostal, have a female minister. So, especially back in the 40s. Yeah. Because that's like her parents, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, when they were in college, she worked at a little boutique, and he worked at a restaurant and a department store, and they got married on April 1st of 1961. April Fool's. Yeah. Joke's on us because did they have some history? Oh, Lord. They eventually leave college to become, well, you know, evangelists. 
if you don't know the story, they are famous televangelists. They had two kids, Tammy Sue Baker, also, well, Tammy Sue Baker Chapman, because she ends up getting married, who is known by Sissy, and a son by the name of Jamie Charles Baker, who goes by the name Jay. Also, the mo- if you don't know the story, you probably know her eyelashes. That's really the star of the show. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like Donna was saying, Tammy Faye Baker's look is iconic. She had the big hair. She's very done up with her makeup, had a lot of eyeliner and a lot of mascara. She had long eyelashes and wore a ton of mascara and lipstick too, but it was more so the eyes that were just like, whoa, that woman's got on a lot of mascara. And it, it was just this iconic look. After that first year of marriage, they moved to South Carolina, and that's when they began their evangelical ministry together. They would kind of travel, and Jim would preach, and Tammy Faye would sing, and she played the accordion. And that was kind of their shtick the whole time. Even on television, he would preach, and she would, you know, preach some too, but she would sing, and I feel like she was kind of the star, but... She was a hype person. Yes, for sure. Well, in 1966, they started working for Pat Robertson over at the Christian Broadcast Network, which is like, that old man is still going on, unless Tiffany talks about him. Most famously, this show is the 700 Club here in the States, but I'm pretty sure it's like a worldwide show. So they had moved to Virginia, and they're working for, like I said, Pat Robertson for CBN, they had a children's variety show on the network that was like kind of like a, a comedy show for kids, teach them about God, like with puppets, that kind of thing. And they did really well on that show. And because of that show's success, Pat Robertson made Jim Baker the host of CBN's new primetime talk show, which was The 700 Club, which again became what they call like the flagship show the show that's literally still running to this day you can be watching something on freeform and you're like ah shit because it's like late at night or super early in the morning and here comes the 700 club and pat robertson you're like oh well change that literally when you said the 700 club i was like ugh, because it is always after like on a late night pretty little liars descended and you're like uh-huh. ah shit here comes this ultra like <laughs> yes I always thought it was like a telethon kind of thing. It's kind of how it's set up, but it's but it's televangelist and it's yeah. it's very like propaganda y. Like it's mm-hmm. very like sell you something, give us money, buy into this. It usually does not support women's rights. It usually is anti LGBTQ. It you know, and so it's it's nothing that we stand for. Right. Like if only I had a printout of list of Pat Robertson quotes, y'all would be like, Whoa. So as the success of the 700 Club grew with Jim Baker as the host, he and Tammy Faye decided it was time to leave CBN in 1972. They, with Paul and Jan Crouch, founded this company called Trinity Broadcasting Network, or TBN. But there was some, you know, issues, and so they had a little falling out, and so the Bakers were like, all right, peace out. Which, like, TBN's still around. I was going to say, TBN is still around, though. Yeah, which is why I was like, let me just point that out. They uh, they missed out a little bit. Well, after they left 
that TBN network, Jim and Tammy Faye moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. So this is in 1976. And this is where they started their own show. And they'd set it up kind of like a late night talk show type thing. And they called it the PTL Club. And they said that PTL stood for either people that love or praise the Lord. So what they would do was, with this show, they would buy airtime on different, well, networks or channels to get it, get it rolling. And so the concept of the show was, instead of having advertisers pay for commercial spots, they would just do like every other, well, televangelist, and they would say, hey, if you like what you see, call this number and donate us money. No. If you feel compelled. Yes. If the Lord speaks to you and tells you. Mm -hmm. That, I'm like, damn, y'all some good manipulators. Because who's going to be like, oh, no, I'm not going to. You know what I mean? God doesn't talk to me. Yeah. I would be like, shit, I didn't hear anything, but I'm still going to. I'm still going to donate. Yeah. Or if you want us to pray for you, call Uh this number. Yeah. Yeah. And look, this episode is not meant to bash religion. I know we have a lot of listeners who attend church and who are strong in their faith. And there is nothing wrong with that. Who are ministers. Absolutely. And who are strong in their faith. And again, and this, this episode is not meant to bash that in any way. What I am here to bash is people who manipulate people based on their faith. Yes. And people who use religion and faith and God to promote hate and to better themselves and people who use that religion and faith and fear and that type of thing to elevate themselves through wealth, power, all the things. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like you said, the pay for pray. Mm -hmm. That's where I draw the line. That's what I have a problem with. And that's what we're talking about yeah. we are by no means bashing religion or bashing someone's faith or belief in god or anything like that or any particular religion either right so as the ptl club grew they decided they being the bakers they decided that it was time to start their own network so they founded the ptl satellite network and that is what the ptl club aired on and then they also had some other programs obviously that aired on it look my dad still watches this kind of stuff oh he your dad loves the 700 club that and jimmy swaggart he acts so funny that you say that his name because when i was reading some stuff on this his name came up and i and i was like i know that name Mm -hmm. and i meant to go down a rabbit hole on him and i just didn't have time Jimmy Swaggart was one that had a lot to say about Jim Baker, but it's funny because, you know, those who live in glass houses, uh-huh. uh, because in 88, he was caught with a sex worker and was basically like kicked out of the Assembly of God. And so he started a ministry that was like a non-denominational ministry because the Assembly of God was like, you're out. Yeah. Then... He tried to out this other Assembly of God minister saying that he had had, that that guy, his name is Marvin, had a lot of affairs. And that guy 
filed a defamation lawsuit against him for like $10 million, but it was settled for like $1.75 million. Just like all the things. And these motherfuckers have that money to pay it? Uh-huh. Because of what they do. But don't talk about him because my daddy will get mad. I don't know why, but if y'all have Dish Network, tell me if this happens to you or if my daddy just has like control powers whatever but he watches westerns and he watches religious shit so if i watch something if i turn on like the joey which is like the like the hopper kind of yeah thing. the like the portable thing that can go to room to room it'll either be on gun smoke or some western or on a religious thing and i'm like how why like i've never turned it on that that channel yeah like ever I stopped it on, you know, something, but not that. And after my mom died, it would, like, come on or, like, the the TV would stay on. But I would wake up, and it was Robin Mead and company in the morning, and that's what my mama used to watch. But I never watched HLN. And I'm like, what the fuck? Sorry, one more. <laughs> <laughs> Donna got me using Wikipedia. Oh, no, Jimmy Swaggart. <laughs> uh, but then, okay, so after... He was caught with the first sex worker in 1988. He, like, did this live confession, being like, I'm so sorry. I've sinned against you, blah, 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 right? Yeah. Like, on camera, yada, 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 right? Uh Uh-huh. Then in 1991, he was busted with another sex worker. And the sex worker was, like, quoted saying, he asked me for sex. I mean, that's why he stopped me. That's what I do. Yeah. (laughs) And then it said... This is like, like, this is straight from Wikipedia, y'all. Like, I'm literally holding my phone reading Wikipedia. And it says, this time, rather than confessing his sins to his congregation, he told those at a family worship center, the Lord told me it's flat none of y'all's business. Dang. Or flat none of your business, he didn't say y'all. And then his son was like, um, he's going to be uh, temporarily stepping down as head of the Jimmy Swaggart Ministries for oh time of healing and counseling. Oh, my gosh. God, y'all. Man. These people, I swear, these freaking people. But the thing is, is that he's still going. Uh And it's like, I don't understand it. Because you can't talk sense into these people. Like, okay, well, they've literally done the shit that you're saying you're all against. But yet you're sending money to them. If my daddy knew how to work the phone, he'd be sending money. Be like, Donna, uh, can I have your credit card? Well, okay, you know how you just do like a, okay, Google... Jimmy Swaggart's net worth and, like, the first thing that pops up, you know, it says his net worth is $10 million. Like, that, why? Why? And again, if you work hard, make your money. Exactly. You know, but if you're making your money off of being like, send me money so I can go on missions to help other people and then you're not going on missions or you're not helping people or you're not. Well, he was helping people, a sex worker. He was helping himself to whatever the Mm -hmm. fuck he wanted. Mm -hmm. That was his outreach. Right. He's reaching out his dick to her vagina. Yes. Just like the man in your story last time of Centoya, he was a good man. Exactly. He, he was doing his outreach program. That's why he was at Sonic. Exactly. He stopped her because he was seeing if she needed help. <laughs> okay. So as the PTL club and like the show, the network and all that is doing really freaking well. I mean, breaking in the fucking money. Jim Baker set his sights on more. He was like, okay, I want to make his quote, the Christian version of Disneyland. 
I want like a theme park. So PTL. Every time you say that, all I think about is Pretty Young Thing, PYT. <laughs> Every time I say it, I think Pretty Little Liars. Yeah, that too. Which is why I think that, and because I'm thinking like Televangelist, 700 Club comes on Freeform, mm-hmm. Pretty Little Liars came on Freeform. So like that's all in my head. Yeah. So the PTL Empire buys... 2,300 acres of land in Fort Mill, South Carolina. And they are going to make what they call Heritage USA. And that is going to be like Fort God for Jesus Disneyland. Okay. All I'm thinking about is, you know, at Disney, they have Thunder Mountain. Uh Uh-huh. But they could do Thunder Mountain, but have when the roll is called up yonder playing. Maybe, yeah. Could they do like a... Go rest high on that mountain? <laughs> Could they have like a beach theme and be like footprints walking Oh my sand? God. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one set. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and then they could have like a... Uh, <laughs> Like a kid's part with like an obstacle course where they had to like dodge boulders, roll it away. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. And then I'm just thinking about like the games that they could play. Something about like hitting the heretic or something. Oh, my God. (laughs) Too far. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) On this 2,300 acres, they wanted to put a water park and a hotel. Would the water park turn to wine later on? I mean, it depends on how late. <laughs> Who was there? <laughs> Did the big J man come? <laughs> are they praising the Lord or are they just being people who love? <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> That's very true. So in order to pay for all of this, The bakers had to ask the viewers to pay more money because, you know, you got to pay to play. I mean, I go to the casino. So what they do is, well, actually, let me back up because they would do stuff like, okay, here is this, for example, Bible for sale and it's however much money or here's these two coffee mugs for sale and Along with this, these two coffee mugs that may be $85, you also get a plaque in our atrium with your name on it saying that you're a donor. You know, so it's like you get something, but you're donating to us, So, but you also get a plaque up here with your name on it kind of thing. So it's like that's part of how they made their money as well. So when it came to paying for Heritage USA, what they would say was, all right, if you want to be a lifetime member of the PTL club, pay us $1,000 and you'll become, well, like I said, a lifetime member of the club. And that will give you an annual pass to Heritage USA. And that includes like, I can't remember. I think it was like, just like, let's say three nights because I can't remember exactly how many nights, but three nights to the Heritage Grand Hotel once a year. And this hotel was like a 501, five, like some stuff said 500, some stuff have, have said 501 room. Basically a 500 room hotel. 
that they built for this Heritage USA. And so people started paying $1,000, boom, 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 I mean, all over the place, so that they could be these lifetime members. Well, what happened was he sold over 66,000 lifetime partnerships, members, whatever you want to call it. And that amount was over 100% capacity for the hotel. Wow. So, this fucking fraud. Because now that means that, that means you can have no other visitors staying at your hotel. Right, right. Because you've literally sold every night for the the whole fucking year over 100% capacity gone just to the quote-unquote lifetime members. So just for a few numbers, though. So PTL was one of the largest Christian ministries in the States. It had 2,500 employees. And because of Heritage USA, it made $158 million a year. So Heritage USA itself had over 6 million visitors a year. That was legit a thing. Legit a thing. (laughs) I had no idea. I thought it was like never going to get off the ground. No, no, no. It was a legit thing. It had a water slide, a steam train, had the hotel, like they had a little main street, had a a 400 unit campground. It had a TV studio, a church, an auditorium. It had the whole shebang. So he was basically the fire festival before the fire festival existed. I don't know what that means. Oh, I can't think of the rapper who was with that guy, but then they, uh, Ja Rule, him and this guy who was a promoter were like, oh, we're going to do this fire festival. And it was like some island and it like, everything was fake. Like they were doing these big promotions, but hadn't like secured anything. And then when people bought it and went, they had nowhere to sleep <gasps> and shit. And so like, They had limited water. It was supposed to be all of this shit. You're supposed to be able to, like, rent out cabanas and all of this shit. And they had, like, tents. Oh, no, ma'am. Uh-uh. So when you said the campsite thing, I was like, is that how he tried to get around the hotel thing? Probably. Well, then, in 1987 is when we really first kind of see the the cracks. Also, I'm sorry, I just want to say that NBC news they do this really great breakdown in this article that's like the scandals that brought down the bakers and that's where i got a lot of this information but they talk about how in 1987 they just broken ground on this hundred million dollar ministry center that they were going to call the crystal palace and around that time tammy faye had a breakdown they call it they said she was at home and she was like hallucinating and that she just like started taking her clothes off. And they were like, what? This is not like her because everybody was like, she really is like the purest soul. Like she really is like, even with all of Jim Baker's shit, she really is like this pure kind soul. But there had been some rumors of affairs on her part and There also had been some rumors that she was having some trouble with prescription drugs. Well, it was a few months after that that 
the Bakers released a videotaped message that Tammy Faye was actually being treated for drug dependency. But then the Charlotte Observer published an article that changed everything. They posted an article that Jim Baker had had an affair with a girl named Jessica Hahn. And this affair had happened six years earlier than the article came out. We're going to talk a little bit about the air quotes around affair. Because the Charlotte Observer released another article back in 2017 that had some interviews with Jessica. And to be honest, back in 1980, they may have called it a sexual encounter. But in 2021, we'd have called it rape. So December 4th, 1980, Jessica, Jessica Hahn is her name. She's like a 20-year-old secretary for a church in Long Island. I remember her. Yeah. So she worked, like I said, church secretary, and she gets a call from another evangelist guy named John Wesley Fletcher. And she had met him because he had done some, like, shit at her church. Well, he was a friend of Jim Baker. And Jessica, you know, she's a young girl who sees this powerful couple on TV. And she is like, oh, my God. Like, I am in all of them. She said that she wanted to be Tammy Faye Baker. You know, she just, they're so powerful. They're so close to God. All the things she was enamored by them. And so she knew this Fletcher guy. This is not funny, but it's funny because this is so something that I would notice that her name is Jessica and this guy's last name is Fletcher. So Jessica Fletcher, a.k.a. Murder, She Wrote. I digress. But the next part of the story is where it kind of gets, there's a few different versions that we're going to kind of go through. But according to Jessica, the Fletcher guy is like, hey, the Bakers are going to be in Florida doing a telethon. Can you come down and babysit their children? Because, you know, she's a secretary at this church, and so she's trusted. And so she's like, yeah, absolutely. I can come down and babysit their kids. And she's like so excited because she's like, oh, my God, I get to meet the Bakers, you know. So she goes December 6th to a hotel room in Clearwater Beach. And again, stories kind of have changed a couple of times, but we're going to go. We're going to keep going through them. So, at first, old Fletcher, he says that he invited Jessica down because Jim said that he wanted to make Tammy Faye jealous. In another version, Jessica told the Observer, the newspaper, that Fletcher had told her that she was coming down to watch the telethon. So that's part of kind of where the stories change. Like, is she coming down to babysit? Is she coming down to watch the telethon? Unsure. But I feel like that doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. But I remember hearing this because my mom was all up in this. But what I thought I remembered is that, yeah, the Fletcher guy was kind of like, I hate to use this, but like the woman to Jeffrey Epstein, like yeah. he connected the two. Like it was like Jim Baker was like, hey, I want a young girl, or hey, I want this. And he's like, got the perfect one. Exactly. And made the connection and stuff. And that's it, Yeah. Yeah. And so I heard the 
telethon went, but like that Jim would like need assistance or Tammy Faye would need assistance or something. Yeah. Well, either way, whether it was for a telethon or babysitting or honestly, it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter why she's going down there. The point is, she ended up in a hotel room with him. In this article I found from 2017, she talks about that moment when she's sitting in that hotel room and Jim Baker walks in the room. She said it was like, oh my God. Like, God just walked into the room. I can't say no. Right. Well, and like you always say with the power dynamic, he is the end-all be-all of... Televangelist. Yeah, yeah. Her, like, her religious aspirations depend on if what she said, you know, if he gives her a recommendation, she could do whatever she wanted, blah, 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 blah. So I totally get that. Exactly. And they do end up having sex. Now, I don't know what happened in that room. I don't feel like you can call that consensual, but I don't know. I don't, I don't that's what's so hard because it's like, she didn't say no. But she also didn't feel like she could say no. So we're not a court of law. Right. All I'm saying is, is that she felt powerless and she felt like she could not say no. Jim Baker later, there's a um, an episode of, I think it's American Scandal, whatever that scandal show is that's on ID right now. It's also on Discovery Plus with Barbara Walters that is about the Baker's. And it like flashes back, you know, of course, to all her older interviews, which is, I love that show because you get to see all these amazing interviews that she's done with people from like decades ago. I mean, some of these interviews with him are from like 1996. You know, it's really amazing to see. But there's an interview with Barbara Walters with him and just the way he explains it, like he's like, it was a sexual encounter that lasted 15 minutes. And, you know, he's like, we didn't even talk. It was 15 minutes it was sex and it was just that and I felt terrible after and basically that he cried right after and that he immediately regretted it and all these things and okay if y'all didn't talk how did you have consent like your story's not lining up right it was a setup like Uh Fletcher set it up for you to have sex with her Mm -hmm. so did she know what she was even doing i mean like did she know what was happening i mean even if she did know what was happening did she okay it in that moment like we don't we don't know we weren't in that room and i mean there were never any charges brought out there were never any anything like that Mm -hmm. but what did happen though is that she just kept telling herself, keep your mouth shut, keep your mouth shut. Those are her quotes because this is a church and the church is my world. Jim Baker is my world. And she said that she knew that revealing it would affect millions of people. And not only would it affect people's people's faith, it would affect people's jobs because there were so many people and their jobs attached to the Bakers from their Heritage USA and the network and all of that. That's a lot riding on a 20-year-old's shoulders who feels like she just had this sexual encounter that she wasn't okay with. Right. She said that she felt like she was belittled and being used as a pawn for other people. And that eventually she said that she knew that it was going to get out, whether it was from her or someone else. And so she wanted to be the one to tell her story. 
so Jessica ended up calling a guy by the name of Charles Shepard who worked for the Observer. And this is back in 1984. And she told her story. So he, of course, published it. And so when the news broke, there had been rumors of hush money paid to Jessica to, well, you know exactly what hush money is. Keep her fucking mouth shut. We'll go into that later. But Jim Baker came out in his own defense and said that basically he was having a time of great stress in his marital life and he was vulnerable and he referred to everything as like i said before a sexual encounter and he referred to jessica as a female confederate not by her name and that it was a scheme to set him up wow took zero responsibility for his action of course because even if it was a scheme to set him up, they were responsible for getting his dick hard and putting it in her. Exactly. I mean, I know that's crude, but I mean, that's who we are. But fuck you, dude. Right. They didn't make you have sex with her. Right. You are responsible for your own actions. Yeah, you're not the victim here. Also, I just love that these people come out and it's like, well, I was going through these issues in my marriage, but these are the same people who prey on the people who are going through shit with their marriages and if they've had infidelity or whatever they're like you're a sinner repent and give me money and you'll be saved you know what i mean and it's like you're literally doing what you're saying is wrong well i like this too i also like love this quote because she literally says exactly what we just said but this is Jessica talking 30 years later. She says, his first statement was, I was set up by a female confederate. She said, no, you weren't. You asked me to show up in Florida pretending to take care of your kids. You came into a hotel room and you had sex with me. I didn't push you away, but you had sex with me. No, you weren't set up by a female confederate. You begged another preacher to get you a woman. And I was that woman. I want to say, cut the crap. You set me up. I was like 21 years old. I was really raised in the church. I didn't even know what Confederate meant. I didn't know anything. And she said, see how I get so angry? Yeah. But here's the thing. The ministry, not Jim Baker, the ministry paid $200,000 in hush money. Wow. Call her hotline because he had to get his dick wet. <laughs> yep. Jim Baker wrote a book later that was called I Was Wrong. In that book, he talks specifically about this and says that it was consensual. It wasn't sexual assault. There's a lot of other authors that talk about how the way Jessica describes the quote-unquote sexual encounter, she's describing it in terms of rape in, and or sexual assault. And that it's it does not sound consensual. But they also feel like Jessica doesn't feel comfortable describing it in those terms. So they don't want to put those terms on it because yeah. she's not describing it that way or she's not using those labels. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to do that in a way that, you know what I mean? Yeah. So we have to respect her boundaries and her wishes. So no matter how you feel about it, we have to respect her. Yeah. So after all of this came out, Jim decided to resign from PTL and he gave it to like, just gave it to another guy kind of just hoping that he could run it until the Jessica scandal quote air quotes blew mm -hmm. over. Right. Well, 
what the new guy didn't realize was how bad the ministry was in debt. Like, losing like $2 million a month in debt. What the fuck? Yeah. So, around this time was also when some shit was kind of hitting the fans with people coming out, like your Jimmy Swaggerts and all, about Jim Baker and talking about his sexuality, saying that he had a number of same-sex partners, but also that he had multiple encounters with sex workers and all this. And it wasn't just Jimmy Swaggart. There were other, like, evangelists that would say these things about him. But again, just like Jimmy Swaggart, it was all the people who were saying these things about him had their own scandals, too. Mm-hmm. They all, like, again... Jimmy Swaggart had his own sex worker scandal. You know, all this stuff. And then they would be like, we have evidence that he has same-sex partners. The Bakers were like, all right, prove it. And it's like, well, nothing came of it, you know? Mm-hmm. But again, even if he did have same-sex partners, who gives a fuck other than the fact that he's married and he's having an affair? That's what I have the problem with. Not the fact that he has same-sex partners. I have yeah. a problem with he's having an affair with, on his wife, unless they have that as an arrangement as part of their marriage. But I also have a thing because he was anti-LGBTQ. Oh, absolutely. LGBTQ. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> if you're living your life where you're saying, oh, this is wrong, mm-hmm. and then you're actually doing it, yes. But I'm saying, conceptually, yeah. I don't give a fuck if he has same-sex. Me, personally. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's, like, totally anti-LGBTQ and all that. Well, there was still some conversations about the Bakers coming back to take over PTL again. And they really took some heat for it because they had gone on, the Bakers being they, had gone on Nightline with Ted Koppel. And in that interview, Tammy Faye had no qualms about saying, like, yeah, we're in negotiations to, like, take back over. And so... You know, you're making negotiations. You come in high with your demands. They had demands about huge salaries, two cars, a maid, a furnished lake house, like just just to name what a few the things. Fuck? Yeah, that's their some of their demands to just run this ministry. So now, this kind of has everybody going like, wait, what? What do you mean? Not to mention the fact that at this point they also have multiple homes, a private jet. Two Rolls Royces. That's very hard to say, by the by. In the sweet by and by? <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Amazing Grace. <laughs> a Mercedes Benz. Of course, all the like... I love that you said Mercedes Benz. What? Instead of just like a Mercedes. Well, I mean, like, it's a Benz. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, all the jewelry, all the clothes, their doghouse was even air-conditioned. Well, at least they treated their dog nice. People are homeless. People are hungry. People are dying of a hunger and have no house and have no money for medication. And these people are preaching God's love and God's work and God's everything. And their dog is living better than humans. So this this is when the federal government starts to go, huh, you sure do have a lot of money for a preacher. The Federal Communication Commission starts, you know, looking in, and they realize that, huh, he has $350,000 that he told people that, you know, sent him money, viewers and people, 
that was going to go to overseas missions that didn't. It went to pay for heritage. So, survey said that was a lie. They also found that he used a bunch of money from PTL for just personal expenses. That FCC business, that happened back in like 79-ish. And they voted, the FCC voted four to three to drop the investigation. And since they did that, he sold the TV station that he owned. And so, because he did that, the FCC no longer had oversight on him. So, he used that controversy to get more money. So, he would be like, let's give the devil a black eye, this witch hunt. Like, those quotes. Those are quotes from Jim Baker. Then... The IRS found in 85 that $1.3 million from the ministry funds were used for his personal benefit from 1980 to 1983. So they recommended that PTL be stripped from its tax-exempt status. But you also have to think about the political climate at the time. So it was Reagan administration... And it is said that they weren't super eager to go after televangelists because the fan base of those televangelists made up a good bit of the voters for that administration. And so it's like they didn't want to rock any boats. So it wasn't until 1988 that Jim Baker was finally indicted on eight counts of mail fraud 15 counts of wire fraud, and one count of conspiracy. They never indicted Tammy Faye Baker because they say she didn't ever know what he was doing, which, so you just had all this money and these cars and clothes and houses and all these things, and you just, you had no idea that he was doing any of this? Okay. But they said basically... Jim Baker knew that he oversold the Lifetime Partnership Program. And Jim Baker allegedly had a, quote, psychological breakdown during his trial. But he did take the stand in his own defense. But on October 5th, 1989, the jury found him guilty on all 24 counts. And he was sentenced to 45 years in prison and ordered to pay $500,000 in fines. But Jim Baker was like, um, appeal, please. And he says, my sentence is very way too long. And so in 1991, they upheld his conviction, but they did grant him a sentence reduction. And they reduced his sentence from 45 years to eight years. What the fuck? Yeah. So while he was in prison, Tammy Faye divorced him. And... So, okay, this is where it gets good. Well, it's all good. This story is just so, like, wowza. Okay, so he he only served five years before he was paroled in 1994. So after Tammy Faye divorced him, she married Roe Mesner, okay? So Roe was married before, too. And Tammy Faye divorced Jim Roe divorced his wife kind of all around the same time and then they got married. So it's very like, hmm, timing, right? 
So Roe Mesner is a very famous church contractor, construction guy. He's literally written the book, Building for the Master, is the name of the book. You want to know who old Roe is? He's the one that wrote the check to Jessica Hahn. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Yep. Also, why he write the check if he's the contractor? Because they all fucking end deep. No, I know, but like... Because <laughs> he also works for PTL. So, he helped build Fort God. Okay, so when PTL... Because PTL like had a really messy bankruptcy. And part of their biggest like outstanding balance was to him because they owed him 14 million dollars but 5.3 million of that was inflated or phony billing wow yeah and so not only did he inflate his prices and all of that to I mean, which, you know, they were all in cahoots. Like, you know, they knew he was inflating these costs. Like, duh. Oh, yeah. But he also billed them for work saying that he completed the Jerusalem Amphitheater um, that he never actually finished. Wow. So, he himself also got busted in the whole financial fallout bankruptcy shit of PTL and he went to prison as well for fraud. So he got sentenced to 27 months in federal prison for bankruptcy fraud. But Tammy didn't understand that either. No, 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 no. Can you imagine being married to the guy that went to jail for the like all the fraud, had the affair, you divorce him, and you marry a guy who also goes to jail for the same fraud, but oh, by the by, you find out that he's the one that wrote the check for the hush money for your first husband's affair? Girl. So... A little bit about Tammy Faye. She and, uh, what's his face? They stayed married for the rest of her life. She did a bunch of different TV shows. Like, she did VH1's The Surreal Life, where she was in the house with uh, Trisha, or Tisha, or whatever her name was, from the real world. Trishelle. And uh, Vanilla Ice, and all them, where they had to do the stuff. She And I totally remember watching that. She's done stuff with, like, RuPaul. She actually came out um, really in support of LGBTQ rights. Like, she would do a lot of pride parades and all of that. And, you know, she's quoted saying, when we were down and out, do you know who supported us? The gay community. They were the ones who stood behind us. You know, they were, they supported me. And I support them. And, you know, and so she actually did a lot for... Well, I don't know about a lot, but she actually tried to help with LGBTQ rights. She actually, which I think was kind of, this part was kind of funny that she was able to poke fun at herself a little bit. She actually played on like two episodes of the Drew Carey show as Mimi's mom. That is funny. Which is because, you know, Mimi on the Drew Carey Mm -hmm. hat, like wore all the makeup and Tammy Faye Baker again was known for all of her makeup. And so, I don't know, I just think that was kind of funny that she could poke fun at herself a little bit. Yeah. Well, people will do anything for money. True. Well. And when she's not who she was before. You're right. Because up until the very end. Because she she had cancer. And basically, like, the day before she died, she was on Larry King. And, I mean, she was so emaciated. I mean, she was 65 
pounds. Like that interview with her on Larry King is so hard to watch. She can barely even speak. It's so hard for her to breathe, you know, and she's so thin and just, and she literally died like the next day or two, two days at most later. So their son, Jay, at the end of her life, I think she was pretty close with her son, Jay. He had a documentary that she was on a little bit at the end of her life and did some interviews on that. And like, you know, she, you, she would have kind of have to take breaks because she couldn't breathe because the cancer had spread to her lungs. Well, there were moments, I think, in Jay's life where he was pretty close to his dad. But I think as of right now, they're not very close. Jay has a podcast where he's actually a preacher too, but very different from his parents. He's more like preaches in coffee shops, love everybody type, you know, versus like the televangelist type. And when Jim Baker got out of prison, there's a moment in an interview, and I think it's from 1996 with Barbara Walters, where he seems like, you know, I've learned my lesson, you know, things are different, yada, yada, yada. I've, you know, I've been, spent time in, in the Bible, saw I did in prison kind of thing. And she basically says, how do we know you're not bullshitting us now like you did before? And he says, kind of only time will tell. Well, time's telling because he's remarried. They adopted five kids. He's 80 now. Just recently had a stroke. But... He has another show. It's called The Jim Baker Show with his wife, Lori. They've kind of started the PTL thing again. Like, I I saw a thing that was like PTL Club or PTL whatever's back and different or something like that. I actually went to the website and I was like, this is making me sick to my stomach. I got to move on. So, this show is more like end of days type preaching. Like, more like, the world's going to end. Hellfire and brimstone? But but more like, no, more like, the world's going to end. Mm, okay. And since the world's going to end, you want to buy some uh, freeze-dried food? Oh, we got gosh. some five-gallon buckets and some survival gear. Preppers. Yeah. So that's what he's, that's the load of bullshit he's selling now. And I don't mean that in the people who are prepared for the apocalypse, you do you boo. But I mean in that he's taking an advantage of people. Yes. By preaching fear to make them purchase something from him. Right. Then he also got a cease and desist by the state of Missouri in 2020 because he and Morningside Church Productions was selling this silver solution that they said could cure coronavirus. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And they said that it could basically kill the flu, HIV, the coronavirus. And the state was like, um, shut the fuck up. No, it cannot. And then right after that happened, he then got approval for a PPP loan that we know is for the amount between 650000 and $1.7 million, which the PPP loan, if you're not from the state, is the Paycheck Protection Program. So during the COVID pandemic, small businesses could apply for these Paycheck Protection Program loans, basically. And the long of the short of it is, 
short of the long of it is, whatever the saying is, because I don't actually understand it. If you apply for these loans as a small business and you use that money to pay the salary of your employees to keep them employed during the pandemic without like furloughing them or laying them off and all that, then you like don't have to pay it back. Yeah. But that's the last thing I saw on it. I don't know if he actually got the loan. I don't know if he's like... That's all I saw on it. But it's just like, people are like, um, so you're saying like, you're getting in trouble for telling people that they can cure the COVID. And now you're like trying to get this PPP loan, you know, like you're in trouble with the government and now you're getting this government assistance. Mm -hmm. How you doing that when you've been in jail for fraud? Right. Just recently, like within the last year obviously he had a stroke but he's back working because i went to the website today and watched a live stream of the show oh wow yeah and his daughter like actually goes on his show some and like sings and like kind of plays tammy faye's role on that show Mm -hmm. like but his his current wife is the co-host of that show with him like but his daughter does come on there and sing every so often but his son does not go on the show because I think they have very different ideals when it comes to religion yeah, and their beliefs. So they don't mix religion, you know. And the most recent interview that I saw with the son is like, we love each other. We talk a couple of times a year and that's kind of it. Wow. So he went right back to his old ways. Now, surprise, surprise. Is he fraudulently using that money? I don't know. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that he's playing on people's fears and he's a televangelist playing on people's fears and getting money from them, just like before. And now, even more so, you know, because he talked about how when, you know, before he would preach how God wants you to be wealthy and, you know, you, you send us your money and you can kind of triple it because God's going to reward you kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, with wealth and yada, yada, yada. And he talks about how when he was in prison, you know, reading the Bible and how Jesus basically talked about like money's root of all evil kind of thing and not basically don't be worried about wealth. And so he shifted his focus of his ministries. So now it's a, the world's going to end, so we have to be prepared. So here, buy these packages to be prepared for the world to end. Right. Well, I believe the Heels don't believe the Bakers. Because there's no way that Tammy Faye didn't know about that No stuff. fucking way she didn't know. Like, I'm not saying that she was involved in all the stuff because Jim Baker seems like the type that would be like, I've got this. I handle oh, the yeah. finances. But come on. There's no way that she was completely blind to the fact. Exactly. Come on. They're just so infuriating. It's so hard. Yep. Because, again, we talk about the extreme of religion. And they're on an extreme side. Absolutely. It just makes me so mad when people take advantage of someone's vulnerabilities. Yeah. And that's what they do. That's what they did. And that's what they're doing. But I am definitely torn about your couple. Yeah, no, I believe them. It's like I believe them, but then there's also like the logical side of me that's like, 
aliens. Come on now. You say logical side, but that's our taught side that that can't be real. But then like, oh, I know. But then there's also the really logical side of me that's like an infinite number of universes and you think you're the only one. Right. I'm not saying everything that they said happened, happened. But yeah, I. But if you believe one, don't if you believe some of it, don't you kind of have to believe all of it? No, because they're doing this through hypnosis and whatever. And we all have weird shit that we think of. And it's like, oh, no, that's not what that was. You just got one thing wrong. Yeah. You know, so hell. OK, so like maybe they didn't get anal probe, but there was like some pressure back there. You know what I mean? And you remember it. And then it's like. That's what you go to, but it's really not that. Yeah. But you don't know because we didn't know anal probed really at that time. Yeah. You know, so it's like. It's, it's a kind sensation of like you when, never felt. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like, I don't know about all the details because whatever, but I believe them. Well, y'all let us know what y'all think. I like, I like this episode. It was so different. I feel like. I, yeah. No murder. No murder. Y'all should have seen me. I eat my lunch today working on this story reading when I read what Jim Baker was doing now y'all should have seen me eating my lunch working on my story <laughs> I was so mad when I saw what he was still doing because like I you know had done all the others like knew all the other stuff but it was like the current stuff I was like wait what yeah Whew. so y'all tell us what y'all think thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us don't forget all the things we said all the social media at the APC podcast. Don't forget to review, subscribe, like, and remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.